Hello and welcome to Care Insights with the Outstanding Society, a podcast created to share and celebrate best practice, help others to improve and learn more about the amazing career opportunities within social care. In this episode, we look at research within home care. Zoe is joined by Dr. Richard Green, Rebecca Sharp and Caroline Kosh. got Dr Richard Green with us today, Rebecca Sharp and Caroline Kosh. Can I start by asking you Dr Green to introduce yourself and tell, tell us a bit about the role that you're in at the moment please? Sure thanks Zoe. So um, yes as you said I'm Dr Richard Green. Um, I work at the University of Surrey as a future fellow. Uh, currently working on a fellowship to um, sort of explore the possibilities that um, chatbots uh, offer in kind of improving the health and well-being of older people um, living with frailty and multimorbidity. I work uh, a part of a research group called the Living and Dying Well Research Group um, and we our, our kind of program of work is really to seek to improve the care that's provided to older people living with, uh, as I said before, severe frailty uh, and or multimorbidities, uh, particularly with a focus on um, older people living in the community. Um, so that's the kind of uh, my and our kind of focus in that work. Fantastic. Thank you. And Becky. Yeah. Hi. So I'm Becky Sharp. Um, I work for the Kent Surrey Sussex Academic Health Science Network, um, and that's part of a 15 strong network across England um, established by NHS England to support discovery um, and the spread of innovation in health and care. We also support our regional applied research collaboration. So thinking about the implementation of research to support evidence based practice. Um, with social care and social work being a core theme um, and, and recognising the importance of social care provision in our region. My specific focus has been very much on transformation and innovation in social care and specifically in home care and how we can improve the outcomes of those living in our Kent, Surrey, Sussex region, but also wider as well. Fantastic. Thanks, Becky and Caroline. Hi, I'm Caroline Kosh. I'm Managing Director for Clifton Home Care and we're a home care company based in uh, Lytham St Anne's on the Fowl Coast here in Lancashire and I'm a non-exec director at the Outstanding Society. Fantastic, fantastic panel. Can I come back to you first of all please Becky, can you share some personal reflections um, or experiencing con experiences concerning delivery of home care yeah, sure. I mean, I think for, for certainly for the work that I've been doing, obviously, we're very cognizant of an aging population. Um, the, the population aging population is growing faster in our region than, than the national average. We've got a higher proportion of people living with dementia, um, you know, and people are living longer, but not necessarily in good health. Um, and we've also seen shifts in family caring availabilities um, and increasing burnout of family and friend carers who are picking up more and more. Um, so people's needs are increasing. And of course, you know, we can't ignore the fact that a lot of people want to stay in their own homes um, and, and receive care and support in, in that, that place as well. Um, and the other thing that, that really I think we, we have been sort of focusing on is around some of the sort of inequalities that persist. Um, it's certainly in some of our coastal areas. And also when you consider that a large proportion of care is self-funded, um, you know, the cost of living crisis will probably also be having, having an impact on people as well. Yeah. Thanks, Becky. And Caroline, as a provider, what are your thoughts around that? 
Yeah, I would definitely agree uh, with the cost of, of uh, living uh, crisis having an effect. We, we have seen some clients reduce their care and support, um, the hours that are provided and, um, and and cut back where possible. So I think that's definitely having an impact. And we, you know, we're based on the Fowl Coast. So, so our area across Lytham and St Anne's is quite heavily populated with older people. I know I looked at our, our stats for filed and our sort of over 65s um, in, in 21 was 23.8% versus a national average of 20.1. So, and that's ever increasing. And again, you know, we care for a lot of people living at home with early to advanced stage of dementia. So I, I do agree with both, all of that, that that Becky's just said. Fantastic. And Richard, if I can come to you, you've said before that social care is an invisible workforce, um, mm. but they're receiving minimal attention. Can you can you expand on that for me, please? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think sort of building on what um, Becky and Caroline have sort of been speaking about, um, Becky is based in the same sort of geographic region and supports the work that, that we do in our research group. And reflecting on um, work I've been doing for the Pallup study, um, led by Professor Caroline Nicholson, um, where for the last, I suppose, eight months or so, we've been um, basically interviewing um, patients and uh, unpaid family carers uh, for older people living with um, severe frailty across three sites in England. So uh, based in Sussex, uh, really rural areas in Northumberland uh, and also in Bradford as well, um, kind of urban site and also quite um, socioeconomically deprived as well. So got kind of a variety of pictures and I, I kind of imagined as Caroline was speaking that um that there might be some parallels between the Northumberland side particularly this this um you know uh, really rural area that there's so much reliance on unpaid family carers um particularly because you just don't have the staff available um you know uh, caring agencies have just said like we can't get someone out there I'm sorry you're, you're gonna have to and so you know, district nurses and, and teams like that are spending a lot of their time just trying to get care in place for people. Um, so there, there's this additional strain as well for for um, areas that might not get that that level of support. Um, I realise I'm waffling, apologies, but um, I just wanted to sort of come back to, particularly to the Sussex region, um, similar sort of to what Becky described in terms of that, that, that changing demographic and a, a higher proportion of older people. Um, the, some of the interviews I've been doing, um, there's just such a high demand to, for, for care in that area, um, a particularly high proportion of older people in that area. And the, the paid social care that can be provided is so minimal and so expensive. You know, it's half an hour in the morning, half an hour in the evening, come in, get you out of bed, put you back into bed kind of thing. It's just, you know, we're talking about good experiences, bad experiences. Um, you know, it's it's not always that that finely graded I suppose but it, it's what can be done for available cost and um, it's 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 quite a depressing picture but I think there's such potential for for doing more just with more time and um, it's how we do that I think which hopefully we'll come on to discuss a bit more. Absolutely and and if I could stay with you there for a minute um, what are, what are the particular challenges around research within social care that that you might have already come across or or you envisage for the future? Absolutely I think uh, I, th I think there are a number of challenges I'm I'm not 
I, I've, I have not previously worked in social care. I'm a social researcher by background, but um, so I can't really speak for what it's like for people within social care who might want to do research. But uh, I, I have a master's student, for instance, who's just been doing a qualitative study. Um, she works in social care. She's been trying to get staff involved in her project within some care homes. And she's just struggled so much to get buy-in from managers, buy-in from other staff. And I know you would still struggle in a, a healthcare setting to do that. Everyone's busy, completely understand that. But I do wonder if there is the same level of recognition in social care settings for the value and importance of the of the research. And that, that comes back to what is, um, as you alluded before, Zoe, this um, invisible workforce. I just, there isn't that recognition. So I think there is a challenge about how we get funders and how we get that whole research infrastructure to better recognize the value of this research, but also what is needed to make this research, to, to, to allow this research to be done well, better training, better valuing of research roles in social care settings. I know we have a kind of clinical academic research infrastructure in health. Do we have the same in social care? Honestly, I do not know if we do. So if we do that, then it's great. But I think it's, it's there's a lot of work I think that needs to be done in that area, I suppose, as a, as a kind of, what I see would be some of the sort of starting points for starting to build the profile of this work. I, I think so. And I think it's re really difficult for to promote research within social care. The NHS is 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 very much research data data based. And we need to improve that within our sector. Um, mm. Caroline, why do you think there are barriers um, from from a domiciliary point of view, but but in the whole of social care? I think there's various reasons for the barriers, Zoe. Nationally, we, we've all seen that, well, the recruitment and retention challenge, haven't we, in social care? So if you are understaffed as a, as a provider, as an organisation, if you're not retaining your good staff, if you're upskilling your staff and then they're moving on to other organisations or the NHS, you're losing an awful lot of experience and knowledge and staff who are invested in a sector. Um, we're quite lucky in, in terms of that. Uh, um, and, and I do see the engagement that, that, that we get from our staff team because of, like you said, Richard, the, the good training that, that we invest in them. And the time that we take to explain the need for things like research in social care, because let's face it, I have a health hat as well as social care. It's been in and around health for a long time, but it's not been in and around social care that we all know of and talk of for very long at all. So trying to get our staff team on board with that, we've slowly, slowly integrated that and, and we are doing a little bit of, of uh, research and, and investing some, some of our time in, in that. Um, I think um, in terms, I think it was really interesting, Richard, you said about coastal areas and the, the, the staff shortages around there. I know I had a conversation with a provider in Cornwall and, and often people go to reside in these coastal resorts, don't they, when they're um, older, when they want to have a better standard of living, when they're suffering with, with multiple comorbidities, they want cleaner air and et cetera, et cetera. And I know the provider in Cornwall was a especially struggling with recruitment and retention and in, in an area that was not 
um, affordable in terms of accommodation for social care staff. So that was having a, a whole range of issues. And I know really I've, all I've said about is, is recruitment and retention. But I think going back to another thing you said, Richard, it's about myth busting, um, you know, home care, which we're talking about specifically today, used to be um, a caring service where you would go and do somebody's shopping once a week, go and pop in and have a cup of tea with somebody because they were feeling a bit lonely and isolated. And look at the difference now. You know, 10 years has, has made a vast difference. We're caring for people at home with advanced dementia who years ago would have moved into residential. We're caring for people with motor neurone disease, with Huntington's disease, with all manner of, of, of comorbidities that with the right care and support, we can enable people to continue living at home if that's their desire to do so. But the, the nature of what we do has completely changed and we need the right recognition for that, for our staff teams to, to get um, them invested. And, and it comes back to the commissioning side of things, doesn't it, in, in the recognition for our workforce. Can I, can I just come in there as well, Zoe, in terms of, um, you know, how we also support the home care in terms of raising that profile and also supporting that research infrastructure? So I think as, a, as an applied research collaboration, our work over the last three years has definitely shown us that, that research capacity in the area needs to grow. Um, we've mentioned before, or it's been mentioned before, about the enrich um, work that's gone on with the clinical research network. So that's enabling research in care homes. Um, but also as well is whether we need to sort of try and support and develop something similar for the home care sector, because, you know, I, I don't think it's right that you just sort of shift, lift and shift something that works in a care home and automatically assume that that's what will support the home care sector. And I think we, we know that from the work that we did during um, the pandemic. Um, so, so we facilitate a, a thriving, what we call a community of experience um, in the region, and it started off with just a few individuals um, following some work we were doing to support the home care sector in responding to COVID. And, and we know that their experience was, was not great, and they felt, and I think this comes back to actually understanding the role of the home care worker um, in terms of what their role actually entails, you know, that, that they have to risk assess every single day. They know the client probably better than anybody. So they see all those soft signs of deterioration. Um, you know, they, they've got a limited amount of time to go in there and be, you know, provide nutritious food to do personal care, um, to be a pharmacist, um, to look at, the, you know, they have to do so much. And I just don't think that's well understood. Um, and that certainly come out, came out in the research that we did during COVID. Um, and I think, you know, working in somebody's own home is very different to a clinical setting. You can't ignore that either. So just thinking about infection um, prevention and infection control. Um, but, but as a result of the work that we did, it really engaged our home care sector in understanding the value of research because they had a voice and they could share their experiences. Um, so we've developed this community experience. We've got over 200 people, 250 people who've joined that. And it's, it's about sort of developing a sort of a, a space where we can sort of share knowledge, but also ensure that we're understanding the challenges that the sector have so that we do the research that is needed for that for that um, sector um, and build that sort of infrastructure that gives organisations and their staff um, and also their clients the confidence, I guess, the time and resources and, and reimbursement to participate. So, so I'm really um, 
excited about the future, I think, for home care in relation to research, because I, I guess what I, I would ask, though, is that we need to be really mindful that we do not overwhelm the sector because I think they're already overwhelmed. And so, you know, coming back to having a, a good infrastructure in place, I think, would really help that. So not only help the providers and, and the people they care for and their staff to get involved, but also to, for researchers and academics to sort of be sympathetic to to the work and the language and the challenges that they face. I think that's a that's a really valid point. And I think maybe we need to look at using a, a different language as well. And I think the the point that you said about um you, you want to answer questions that that clients might have, that team members might have. And it's about people, providers coming to you with problems to say, actually, we need an answer for this. So then you you're working on the research project together. And I think I think that collaboration would really help. How how would you see that working, Caroline, as a as a provider with your with your clients, with your team members? Well, this is this is what we're currently working on, Zoe. So we have recently written out, so we, we write regular communications to clients and families, and we've included in that this time um research and, and we are because going back to a point you made, Becky, um a, a lot of the research is residential home focused as a lot of social care is it, it was primarily residential with with a home care slant to it later um but we are um we are taking every opportunity uh, that, that comes our way and we're having conversations about um different research projects and there's a measure in the impact of loneliness which is great for home care and we're taking that 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 on and that's about a 12-month study i think it is um, so we have written to our clients, we're going to include include information in our newsletters uh, for staff and clients, and then we're going to start speaking to our staff teams about this um, over the summertime um, with, with different bits and pieces um, in terms of training. Um, so I think it's just getting that, that um, communication out there that this is a good thing to get involved with. Um, and, and working with our local university that, that that's what we're doing on another project that, that's very research focused um sort of validating a, a policy that we've developed um and our staff have, have again bought into that because they see the benefit of this policy and and they they i think would feel quite proud if if this policy was was validated i think it's really important the point you said as well is is, is one of the the feedback that we get um is that when staff organizations get involved in research they don't always see the outcomes so you know and that's another really important you know it's like you know why why do we get involved if we then don't see the benefit or the outcome so I, I love the fact that you're really involved you know from the ground and your staff are getting involved um, and then as being you know, part of the project you will see the benefits and you know it's a policy at, by the sounds of it that you developed yourself in-house as well yeah, that's right, Becky. Yeah, uh, looking at falls and falls management. So, um, you know, particularly important for home care when you've got staff loan working. So, yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to to hear more about that in terms of, you know, if that works in your organisation, how do you then spread that good practice? Well, that will be through the research that, that's being done with the University of Central Lancashire. Um, we've got an innovation validation assessment being um, conducted on that policy as we speak, um, potentially to move on to a real, real world validation and then moving on from that to, to potentially cascading that further um, for others to use. Because if we use it, and we have done for 10 years successfully, like you say, 
it, it, it could be shared um, for, for other providers to use. I think that that's such a key point. I think there are pockets of excellence across the sector. And how do you model that and move it in into another sector? And it's not just about, you know, the research. It's about how, how you begin asking the questions, how you engage with people using the services, how you engage with team members. Have you got any thoughts on that, Richard? Yeah, I do. It's I'm, I'm really sort of taken by both what Becky said about this, the community of experience kind of model, which I have been to some of those meetings. And I think it's a really, it, it, it's a really useful space because I think particularly, I don't know if this is true, but what I would imagine is that home care providers are perhaps more likely to rise and fall more quickly and more changeably than a, than a care home. That might not be true, but I guess care homes are quite fixed infrastructure. And I suppose funding is, is an issue these days, but I guess home care, businesses could can get created and and maybe fall out of business more rapidly i'm not sure but um i think having a space to engage with within your kind of region with home care and really as well as what caroline described with the model they're taking it's we as an organization or we as a collective group with with an interest in home care are basically generating those questions and ideas themselves um, which, you know, I think that's the way to do it. If you want the buy-in, then find an issue that is important to your staff and important to locally. I think the challenge that researchers often have is, you know, particularly in a kind of health and social care research model, patient and public involvement and engagement is is a big thing. It's very important. It's a big buzzword. But researchers often think, I want to do this, and their ideas come first, and the the the, the PPI or the the kind of people involved in research don't always take the precedence they should but actually I really think that needs to shift and we really need to do more of let the organizations let the people tell you what is a concern to them and work with that I think particularly in a more constrained uh, financial kind of funding system that we're in at the moment lots of voluntary organizations are saying sorry we don't have the funding we don't have the capacity to support you with your research at the moment there is you know people are pulling back from what they're they're able to give in terms of their time as a result i think researchers will have to really adapt themselves and say what does this organization nation need and let them lead it so i think there is something there um in terms of that kind of impact that wider kind of cascading it it's really difficult how do you get other people to take on your ideas in a in a bigger scale it's certainly a lot of what guides the work that that we're doing with the living and dying well research group um and i think there is something about that kind of evaluation approach trying to take those kind of core components or principles from what you're doing and think about how can this translate to other settings i i think i think it's that from what what i'm taking from what caroline's been saying is that it's a long-term approach that you're taking. It's, it's you know, that has become a part of your culture over time. And I think the more that you do that, the stronger you're, you're building that evidence base um, through a series of projects. And then that evaluation working with, with university partners can, can really help that to take off. I think just to just to add to that, Richard. Sorry, Zoe, but yeah, it is a longer term approach, and it's living by your values, isn't it? We we can all say as an organisation we've got values, but do you truly embed them? And that learning development for us has always been a real passion, mm -hmm. and research sits absolutely under that. Um, you know, how can we 
better improve one of the comments we said at the start was okay people may be living longer but are they are they living better quality of lives and and potentially not um so how can how can this benefit our our, our service users our clients um, and our staff teams as well and that's what we try to approach it from as well is 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 what what are the benefits to this I think that's really interesting about the quality of life stuff as well, Caroline, um, you know, because I think often research, even within social care, they look for a sort of health health benefit. So, you know, does it delay um, admission to hospital or prevent hospital ad admission? And, and actually it is things like the quality of life studies that are really important. And, um, you know, just thinking about some work that we're doing around food and drink needs. Um, so being led by uh, Dr. Stacey Rand at the University of Kent. Um, where she's looking at, you know, much more around the sort of quality of life and the sort of cultural aspects of food and drink for people living in their own homes, as opposed to nutrition and hydration, which are important. Of course they are. But, you know, it's the wider things. And we've got another project as well, just thinking about different, you know, one size doesn't fit all. So sort of thinking about how, you know, inclusive practice and how cultures, whether that's with food and drink, how, how you include that, you know, which obviously has an impact on somebody's quality of life if they're being provided with the food that that they like and you know is part of their culture um or maybe the lgbtq plus community and sort of making sure that the practice is inclusive you know for for lgbtq plus so there's lots of pockets of work going on that are looking at some of these challenges um, and sort of thinking about people's quality of life it's so important I think coming back to somebody's point about um, about researchers leading, um, we're, we're working on a big project at the moment and it's it's led by social care for social care. But it's it's three organisations coming together. So you've got providers, you've got academia and you've got policymakers. And if the three organisations in whichever your area you're working in come together to lead on the research, that is going to make a huge, huge difference. It's um, it's such an amazing model. If I could ask the three of you, what are the positives or what are the possible ways that we can move forward from here? What would that be? If I can come to you first, please, Caroline. So the positives of how we can move on from here, Zoe, that's right, isn't it? That's what we're, we're answering now. Um, involve your staff teams. I think that's critical in everything we do and we're seeing that in terms of the, the shift for CQC inspections and, and, and it's very much involving your staff teams in everything. Um, I truly believe that if, if staff teams understand the reasons for things, you get a far better buy-in and better compliance, if you want to use that word, better engagement. Um, I think we need to do more about educating our, our clients, our service users about the potential benefits for this and their family members as well, because they are a great influence and a great source. Um, and they may themselves be involved in research roles, et cetera. Um, so we could draw on their expertise. Um, so I think involve the people that you're serving, but I think going back to a point you made, Richard, it's trying to turn a bit like the OS, but trying to turn challenges and, and, and negatives and issues into a positive. So what are your, as, your, as a provider, as an organisation, what are your challenges 
and what can we do about this? What, what area do we need to work on? How could research help us improve this? And something like you said about before with nutritious meals, Becky, you know, in home care, that's quite challenging when you've got a 30 minute visit and 20 minute mm -hmm. contact time. So ha what that's a, ch a challenge and an issue. We've done bits around that, but what can you do as a provider to, to make that better? Thanks, Caroline. And, and you mentioned the CQC, obviously the quality statements cover research under well-led as well. So I think that that's quite crucial. Could I come across to you, Becky, please, for your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think from what I, I understand, you know, there is a real paucity of, of evidence around home care and big gaps in the literature. So there's plenty of opportunity for really great research. And it comes back to Caroline's point um, and, and Richard's as well in terms of making sure that we do the right research. And, and you know, it's research that's needed by the organisations, the people working for them and, and the, the people receiving care. I think there's also a need for sort of thinking about this ongoing sustainable home care provision as well um, and a need to increase um, perhaps the numbers of people working in social care and make it a, a, a really good career choice. So I think there's some, some work to be done around that and sort of career progression opportunities and corresponding salary and benefits between those working in the NHS and those working in social care. Um, and a lot of that research evidence does already exist. And I think there is something that we can do to sort of look at, whilst I said there is lots of gaps in the literature, there is also already literature out there that actually could answer some of the questions that that, that we have. So I think for me, that's that's where there's some positives and, and it's great to have a focus now on home care in that. Absolutely. And you just mentioned something there that I wanted to touch on. Um, so, so we're trying to move away from, from the term staff or teams. We're trying to use social care professionals. And I think that that would ra raise the bar for, for the sector as well. Indeed. Yeah. Could, could I come across to you, Richard, for your final comments, please? Mm. So I absolutely agree about social care professionals. That's what they are. And, you know, I just I think we've um, someone previously just described, maybe it was Becky, the, you know, when you go into someone's home, you're taking on a lot of roles. You're the pharmacist, you're the meal preparer, you're the cleaner, or what you're becoming, taking on a, a lot of work and it's not work that we value as a society. And while they are professionals, you know, domiciliary carers, you know, I think you could get paid more on an hourly rate working in an Amazon warehouse or something like this. It's, it, you know, that, that parity between NHS and social care or health and social care like roles and and responsibilities and pay are really really important but um we can't solve that so let me move on um I think uh something that uh Caroline picked up on is sort of talking about education it, it really is this I think it's in a kind of I'm not sure if it's just for advanced clinical practitioners but there are these kind of pillars of um there's a kind of pillars model but I think pretty sure that research and education sit within those and I think that they're so twinned in a way that we haven't necessarily discussed so much here but you know the research adds to the practice that's been done it's a way of upskilling and training staff as well and if you can kind of build that into a research design you know that for one of the studies we had uh, you know there's money embedded to support training for using the clinical frailty scale for example like if you're offering something back that that really adds to research. Um, I think, the, again, coming back to kind of the way that Caroline was describing the working relationship that they, the work they've been doing, the working relationship with the University of Central Lancashire, um, it's about long-term relationships. I think one of the challenges with uh, the academic research culture is that 
you get contracts and they are fixed for an amount of time. You're expected to do a lot of stuff in that amount of time. And often it's the, you know, giving back afterwards, what, what have we done that gets lost out and that doesn't, do, doesn't get the work it deserves. And I think we can't necessarily change that culture, but if we try and build those relationships and sustain them and look for ways to continue working with organizations going forward, it really supports a case of impact. It really is saying, look, I'm investing in this group of people. Um, so I think that kind of model can really help to counter some of the actual infrastructure challenges. So I think that that is one that's working quite well for, for our research team and that's something that we want to take forward and that, that I would recommend. Um, and I think that's that's the end of my waffling. Yeah. Can I, can I just say there as well, though, but it, you know, if we get it right, it's a really exciting space. And, and ultimately, what we're saying here is it's going to lead to improved outcomes. For, for you know people receiving care and people working in care you know it's, it's a win-win isn't it really zoe can i just add sorry two groups of, of people i'm going to keep with people okay so we need to involve people whether that be our teams whether that be our, our clients our service users our families but also sorry two critical ones for me are students so yeah. student placements you know your t-level your b-tech placements your university placements we really do embrace these the, the opportunity to work with our with our students um and 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 these can be a range from digital placements to health placements but also your community teams as well because we have a really strong relationship with our community teams and again going back to something you said richard about involving these community teams um they will help solve some of your issues sometimes and I think that's really integral is getting that really good um, relationship so that, you, you know, you can bounce ideas off each other and you can pick the phone up and you can email and, and, and you can get involved. So sorry, just to add people, more people. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's fantastic. And I'd like to say a huge thank you to, to you all for this afternoon. Some really valuable insights into research within the home care sector. Thank you. The Outstanding Society is a community interest company. It's free to join and is open to everyone. You don't need to have an outstanding rating to be a member.